Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning. Thank you for joining me for another exciting episode of New Book Network's African American Studies podcast. I am your host, Katrina Anderson. Today I'm joined by Professor Karima K. Jeffrey Leggett, who is an Associate Professor of English at Hampton University. She holds degrees from Swarthmore College, Lehman College, and her PhD from Howard University. She has served as interim chair of the English and Foreign Languages Department, writing across the curriculum coordinator, and a UNCF Mellon Programs Coordinator. She also has received numerous fellowships, honors, and awards, including distinctions from the UNCF Mellon Programs, the University of Richmond Tocqueville Seminars, and others. She is interested in the African diasporic literature and multi-ethnic American studies. She has written and lectured extensively on topics related to cultural and cross-cultural expression. Today, we're going to be discussing her wonderful new book, Speculative Films and Moving Images by or About Black Women and Girls. Watch it. Thank you for joining me today, Professor Jeffrey Leggett. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, so today let's dive into this wonderful book of yours. So can you tell us a little bit about the book? So one of the things that I was interested in, um, speculative fiction, speculative film is my pastime. Um, Grew up a Trekkie fan, grew up um, reading comics, uh, sneaking to read my uh, old, one of my older brother's comic book collections. Um, And of course, watching those various different animated uh, cartoons that would come on TV. And so as a um, senior faculty member who has done the things that I've been sort of required to do to get tenure promotion, uh, which is not to say they weren't things that I was interested in, but they were super duper uh, academic things that the lay person may or may not have any familiarity with or interest in. And so I was very um, intentional at this juncture of my career and wanting to do something that could bridge that divide. So something that I knew my students were uh, avidly tracking or or watching, um, things that I, again, was looking at or um, enjoying in my pastime. And things that, you know, my mother, I could talk about with my 82-year-old 80, 80, uh, mother, you know, my 85-year-old father, because, again, whether they 
are um, actively watching these things, they're coming across the screen um, on, on the TV screen or on the cable networks that they're watching. So this particular book hones in on Black women and girls and really looks at the um, characters that we see in, in films that have done very well or in films that have um, that I think have been written in such a way to develop that leading um, African descended female uh, characterization. And so that's what I capture in this book. I look at some texts from horror. I look at some um, streaming things that you can find on HBO or Hulu or uh, VUDU. Um, and I talk about some popular films and popular celebrated um, actresses that uh, many folks have seen in a lot of texts or are uh, familiar faces that they've seen in a variety of roles. And so those are the individuals I wanted to hone in on in this book, Speculative Film and Moving Images. Um, I wanted us to, to, us meaning women of color, um, I wanted us to think and see ourselves on the screen, but also be challenged to think about how positive and or negative um, those representations are, even though increasingly we are more visible in these roles, principally in the, in the arena of speculative text. Very good. What about, let's, for our audience, let's break down what speculative films are and the history of Black women, per se, in this industry. So for me, when I'm thinking about uh, speculative film, for instance, as I was uh, ending my response to the last question, I was thinking about um, Imani Cheers. She teaches at uh, Georgetown University associate professor. I think she's just been promoted uh, into an administrative, um, an assistant provost um, uh, administrative position. She has um, a text that historicizes, looks pretty candidly, excuse me, at the contributions that Black women have made to television, uh, television, pr predominantly television. Um, and most of those things are what I would describe as reality driven. Um, storylines. So in other words, they are the kinds of characters, the kinds of settings that in many ways mirror pretty much what we would see or encounter in our day-to-day -day, reality. Uh, you know, for instance, you, I think about the Cosby show, right, or Different World, or um, uh, Everyone Loves, um, no, um, everyone hates Chris, right? These kinds of shows that um, are Abbott Elementary, these sorts of shows that, um, you know, they may take some slants in terms of, you know, flashbacks or someone having a dream, but generally they're reality driven, they're reality based. When I say speculative film or moving images, what I'm thinking about are those those constructed texts that really are imagining or depicting the um, the supernatural or the unreal, right? I mean, for instance, uh, we can't physically fly, right? That's why we have superheroes, right, in, in costumes and capes that have that ability um, to fly. Or 
arguably uh, some people may have encounters with ghosts, but generally the average person does not believe, right, that ghosts actually um, exist, right? Or hauntings or things like that um, um, actually happen. For some people that is quite real, um, but generally when we think about that, in film or or moving uh, images, these are the kinds of things that are that that they surpass the pale of reality. They now are taking us into um, in into into the in I don't want to say the unreal, but the supernatural, right? Um, and that becomes speculative. These things that really have to be um, imagined, that really have to be dreamed up, that have to be sort of uh, constructed. And that can include um, fantasy when we think about um, things like The Hobbit uh, and that, you know, those uh, those um, series, you have you have the world of fantasy fairies and and trolls and um, and dinosaur, not dinosaur, excuse me, dragons um, that we think of as fantasy. We don't see so many um, black writers or black texts that are experimenting with the fantastical in that way. Um, there are some uh, some folks who are um, playing around in that in that arena, but in terms of moving images or film, I, nothing readily comes to mind of of a wide range of actors in the in the realm of fantasy. But we do see a lot of black characters. We do see a lot of. Um, uh, actors and um, now uh, an increasing number of directors, executive producers, screenwriters that are creating content for uh, films around horror, for instance, or characterizations around horror, um, uh, vampires, um, hauntings, um, werewolves, um, things you know, things of that nature. Um, and then, of course, we have characters who are um, trekking into space, interstellar text. Um, and so that, when I say speculative films, are the things that I'm thinking about. So space travel, hauntings, um, monsters, um, things that present our human existence in a truly imagined, uh, supernatural, unreal way, but presents it as real. You did a great job of <laughs> uh, bringing that into your text. I mean, you can understand very much from reading your text, even though it's for a layperson, what speculative films are and how it does get into that realm of supernatural, otherworldly, um, which is gaining an increasingly um, prominent role um, for those of African descent. And you mentioned earlier about your interest being a Trekkie. And mm -hmm. so as that was one of the ways you really, can you speak a little bit more of how you really became interested in this topic? You mentioned being a Trekkie and also your brother's comic books kind of led you into this world of the supernatural. Yeah, well, I want to go back to um, part of question two that I don't think I quite answered, and that's the history of Black women in the industry. And this is where I really want to um, acknowledge um, the character Uhura um, that was played by Nichelle Nichols. And so I would say that like for most of us uh, women, um, people of color that uh, that are or were Trekkie fans, 
that she really was the first, right? She was that um, that brown face who was uh, who was positioned in this storyline that thought about that imagined that depicted what human existence could be or what excuse me um um the existence of sentient beings could be in an anticipated future and so in terms of the history of uh, black women in speculative film it would start it would start with her and then quickly um move into uh, for me, starting with um, seeing her on the screen and watching the evolution of that character over, you know, these last uh, 60, 60 years. Yeah, 60s tonight. Yeah, 60 years or so, um, 60 plus years where you have then Zoe Saldana playing uh, Uhura's character in the reinvention of that um of that story arc. And then you have uh, the latest uh, with Michael Burnham, the character Michael Burnham and Star Trek Discovery that's now going into its fifth season. I think that that should debut sometime later this year or early in 2024. So you have uh, Michelle Nichols Uhura as the first for me in black speculative film um, as a very prominent popular depiction. And then the next character that you would have uh, in this historical arc would be Eartha Kitt playing Catwoman on the uh, Batman television show. So initially Catwoman was captured and depicted as a woman of European descent the first year. Um, It was then uh, made into a movie later that summer. And then for some um, uh, reason, I'm sure that this has been uh, written and explained uh, at um, somewhere, whether the actresses declined to continue with, with the, uh, their contracts with the, with the industry or whether the producers actively wanted to really diversify the cast. And I think it was probably a mix, a blend of all of those things. You have Eartha Kitt um, as Catwoman. So for me, we go from Uhura, in interstellar space to Catwoman in the Batman series that were in syndication when I was a child growing up watching the zoom, bam, boom on TV. (laughs) You know, and then you have um, my brother uh, with uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men, the uncanny X-Men uh, comic book with Storm or uh, Aurora Monroe. And so here for me as a child, now as a fully formed uh, woman, I can look back and see the the um, the seeds that were planted, the inspiration that was provided to me in terms of seeing these strong women, right? Seeing these gifted women, seeing these women who were leading, um, seeing these women who uh, the main characters who were generally uh, men of European descent uh, saw these as women to be reckoned with, right? Like, you know, (laughs) right. The nemesis with Catwoman, right. Uh, You know, um, uh, or horrors all you know the captain always have captain kirk uh, always has to defer to her help with the communication council and all of that um so for me that's some of of the history that um i think inspired me 
quite subtly over the years to sort of land more actively uh, in this work. In terms of how this particular book came into being, um, in 2017-ish or so, um, I have a colleague, uh, Valerie Ann Johnson, who wrote uh, the review on the back of the book. She's now dean at um, Shaw University of the School of uh, Liberal Arts Education and uh, Art Sciences and Education, I think, or Arts Humanities. No, it might be Arts Humanities and Education. Um, Excuse me, the Dean of Arts, (laughs) Humanities and Sciences, I think, is her her department down there at Shaw University. She uh, has a daughter who is a creative writer and uh, was experimenting, has experimented with speculative text and really trying to work through how to construct some of these characters and storylines. And so Valerie came to me, um, Dean Johnson came to me and she said, Karima, would you be interested in collaborating or doing a kind of uh, teaching and learning institute that can bring together teachers, creative writers, educators who are working with uh, young women, working with girls who are creating this content or who are exposing younger generation to uh, characters and our authors um, who are contributing to the genre. And so that was the turning point for me to begin to that marriage from a personal passion, a personal pastime, um, uh, a sort, a sort of um, um, uh, escapist <laughs> um, experience for me outside of teaching and outside of academia to kind of blend those those two worlds. And so, in 2018, I did a teaching and learning institute uh, entitled I co-coordinated a teaching and learning institute entitled Black Girls Write Write the Future, which is the same title of my website and the same title of the second book that I'm currently uh, working on. And there, I really was able to talk with colleagues and peers who had been teaching some of this content for a few years. Um, I met a couple of of women who are writers, um, who are, again, developing characters. And that really kind of was the impetus for me to say, okay, I can actually think more strategically, think more critically about working on um, these texts in in a in a new way, working on these texts um, in in a way um, in an academic way, and so I began developing classes for my students and just took took the deep dive, learning more about and thinking more about the images, uh, the the authors, um, um, the directors, uh, and so forth. Yeah. Listening to you have that discussion in your statements, it did bring to mind, as you were mentioning, Nichelle Nichols and Eartha Kitt. And I remember watching those, what can be considered very strong women being portrayed on television at a time when you would have thought that was not would not have been possible. Um, and then Storm, who has the power to control the weather and who is such a well-rounded, strong female. Uh, It's like, you're right, those are the founders for Black women, you know, in this genre. And so much, and we have come a long way 
in terms of what's been done, but there's still a long way to go. But it was with them that all of this began. And it's kind of, and it leads me to say, as I'm thinking about it, as I'm talking to you, where my interest in this field also similarly, because I do remember watching Star Trek and watching Batman uh, and there was Catwoman. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, she is a fierce rival. Uh, she's very good and she's crafty and she figures things out. Um, and then of course, just with Storm, just having the power to control the weather. Um, and being such a great member and such a forefront member of the team, you know, these were all what you could consider to be very strong, positive role models, um, for black women, for black girls, especially as they're growing up. Um, and, but yet there were so few of them. So it was great to have those, um, at that time. I agree. Yep. Now, um, we talked a little bit, what type of sources, and you mentioned some of the films, and I know we're going to get into the sources and texts that you used um, as you was working on this. Did you find it particularly easy or difficult as you were going through the process as you were working with the materials? So, you know, it's, it's interesting, right, in that at the time that I was writing my, uh, my book, there was nothing um, out there specifically looking at uh, black women and or girls in speculative film. Now there are things again that talk about, um, like that you know talked about uh, um, Dr. Cheers and her work. There are people who talk about um, um, black television, right? Uh, black filmmaking, uh, black movies, Don, Daniel Bogle, right? He has a slew of things that really are, are, are required reading. If you are a student of film, if you are a purveyor of film, you're interested in filmmaking, you have, not Daniel, excuse me, Donald Bogle, you have to read Donald Bogle's work, right? He has a barrage of things, but there was not a lot that was really looking at and lifting up um, this this speculative angle, and that's what um, that's what I was absolutely interested in, and that's what I wanted to um, to hone in on. And I'm just um, going through here to because I discovered that since my book came out in January of this year, 2023, that there are two other books that look at um, and historicize and, and enter into this discussion of what's happening specifically with, with, the, char- with the characterization of African-descended females. Um, and the other one is... Yeah, when no black woman has gone before, that's Diana uh, de Sola Mafe. And so that came out in 2018. Um, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas has The Dark Fantastic, uh, but she's not looking necessarily at um, texts that are written by um, 
I'm sorry. I don't want to say it that way. She's her her Thomas's text is um, the Dark Fantastic Race and the Imagination from Harry Potter to the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And the other book, yes. And so um, it's uh, Samantha Dawn Sklacks, Body Minds Reimagined: Disability, Race, and Gender in Black Women's Speculative Fiction. So my book joins in conversation with uh, Schlack's book, Body Minds Reimagined, and the other, um, author's name that plays off of Star Trek, the um, Mafe's work, Where No Black Woman Has Gone Before. So right now, there are three books <laughs> that are that uh, that look at this um, idea of Black women in speculative fiction. And then you have, um, again, Thomas's work that is... Um, is another one, not specifically this notion of, because she in, she has fantasy in her discussion, um, as well as when I, I think of uh, like Harry Potter, I do as kind of fantasy, right? This, you know, because the wizards and warlocks and warlords and things of that nature. Right. It's so interesting because, you know, you think about these texts and these films and who's in them and who's being portrayed. And, you know, now in 2023, we're finally i want to say trying to change things up and have a more diversified cast um but it's still very hard to get there uh and there's still this idea of who especially black women and how they should be portrayed and who their characters should be and the representations and that all kind of leads me into my next question uh, those stereotypes that always seem to have to plague um, and that follow. And it even goes in terms of cine, uh, cinematic representation. And that's where I want to ask you about, like, as we were looking in speculative films, especially speculative films that delve into this idea about apocalyptic change and, you know, these ideas of who the black matriarchs are. There are certain defining stereotypes that still to this day follow them. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah. So in chapter one of the book, uh, where I talk about mothers of a new world, um, yeah, when I talk about mothers of a new world, it's a longer title, but that's, that's good enough for us right now. You know, um, it was interesting in that, uh, that is the oldest, um, paper, um, in the book. So initially it was a conference paper. I think I was slated to do it MLA back in 2014 or something. And I ended up doing it at ACLA up in, um, up, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, I believe it was. And then I was able to, uh, tweak that and get it published, uh, in a peer reviewed, um, pub- in a peer reviewed, uh, magazine, I think the journal, of feminist studies, I think it is. And what I, um, so ironically, I happened upon that, right? I was going through my annual end of the year or midterm grading crunch. And we talked about being nocturnal in our uh, pre-recorded, uh, ch- our pre-recorded ch- uh, chat. 
And so generally I have to have some kind of white noise going or, you know, as I'm, as I'm going through the papers and I take a break, you know, I'll have, you know, I'll, I'll look and get caught up in something that's on TV. And so I just ended up watching, um, in, within the span of like a couple of weeks, um, I think Quest for Fire came on and then I was doing the Matrix series um, that that I own. And I was like, I'll just, you know, again, I got to get through this grading. So let me just binge, you know, just have the Matrix going. Right. And um, and and as I was um, sitting back, I went, this is pretty curious. I'm seeing some um, I'm seeing some repeated um, images are some some repeating threads here. Um, and so once I get through this grading, I'm gonna have to watch this stuff again and, and think a little bit more, um, you know, think think a little bit more seriously, seriously about it. Now, at the first run, I was actually quite, um, quite excited, right? I went, oh, you know, look at Ray Don Chung. You know, there's one of the oldest uh, of, of speculative films you can that exists, right? Critically acclaimed, um, a silent film. It's not silent, but they're grunting. You know, that's talking about human evolution. That now the science is proving as being pretty sound. Is you know is being depicted here in in this in this text, and here we go in the Matrix. And oh my God, you know, you love Neo and you, you know, and, and Trinity and that love story, but they couldn't be who they are without uh, the Oracle and oh, how like, you know, how dope, this is incredible. And, uh, you know, and I wrote this paper, like super excited and did the presentation. I said, black women, we're being redeemed. You know, we are, we are, we are, um, the mothers of the future. Like literally these films are, are presenting the ways in which, um, either physically through the black woman's wound or figuratively through her intervention, humanity cannot evolve, cannot exist. And I thought that this was super duper interesting and exciting and and worthwhile to um, to kind of capture and pay homage to. Well, when I went to um, publish it in a peer review um, presentation in a peer review essay and after doing the presentation at I think it was again ACLA up at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, some of the questions were, well, is it really all that good, right? And what does the theory have to say? Because at that time, it really was just a, a self-study, um, me kind of working through developing a thesis from my own viewpoint. And we always challenge our students to say, yes, you've got to start with your thesis. You have to have something to say, but you always want to be pretty thoughtful about what others are saying. So I said, hmm, this is an interesting and important lens, an important um, critical perspective for me for me to, to embrace and do something with. So I went back and I, I reread a slew of womanist uh, criticism or Black feminist um, um, literary theory. And that challenged me to rewatch these films and say, yeah, these characters are great and they're exciting and there's something um, um, uh, thrilling about seeing them on the screen. But they also hearken back to these 
these age-old stereotypes that we just can't seem to get away from, right? The matriarch as a mammy always in the kitchen with a cigarette baking cookies. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, you know, so I, and I, and I play with that trope in the chapter in a way that I don't um, talk about it in the journal of literary, uh, um, journal of feminist scholarship uh, article because we do have in African-American literary criticism, a discussion of the kitchen trope. Um, Gwendolyn Brooks um, in a lot of her poetry, um, Paul Marshall in uh, like her book, her novel, Brown, Brown Girl, Brownstone. Uh, you know, we do have a history, a legacy of black women who uh, see the kitchen, see the domestic sphere, as their reigning realm of authority, if that makes sense. And so then I said, so then I said, so, so I talk about that a little bit in chapter one, right? That, so that can shake up the mammy, um, that mammy image a little bit, right? And kind of build off, off, off of that. Um, but then it comes back to the intentionality of the screenwriter, right? The intentionality of the author. And were these, so even though I, the viewer, can, can take that, that nuanced literary critic lens and apply that knowledge to my reading of the text in that way, can I be so sure that in the construction of the film, that that was their intention, right? And so, you know, I talk a little bit about combing through some of that history to try to unravel that question, right? Um, the Sophia Stewart controversy over whether or not this Black woman actually wrote um, the Matrix, uh, uh, the blueprint, the, uh, the, the crux of that storyline. And then the Wachowski somehow got a hold of her script and, you know, ran away and, and, and stole it. So I talk a little bit about that in chapter one, um, chapter one as well. But the, the facts suggest that no, Sophia Stewart did not author the Mammy, in which case she was authored by, um, you know, by these these uh, queer, I guess would be the appropriate word, uh, you know, these 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 queer non-binary individuals, right? And I don't know if they would know anything about the kitchen trope motif, and so then we're left then again with this with the stereotype of the Mammy, very. Um, you know, this very age-old image, right? The Aunt Jemima, uh, all the, the auntie, right? Kind of thing. Um, in terms of Quest for Fire, I had to sit back and rewatch it and say, wow, kind of problematic that Ray Dawn Chong is surrounded by these, um, a mixed-race brown woman of color is uh, uh, who is nude, and just covered in mud or, you know, black paint is traipsing around on a set with uh, men of European descent who are in loincloths. Like, what's that about? And so then that brings up the Jezebel image, right? Um, and then uh, someone, as I was talking to them about about the Matrix and A Quest for Fire, they said, well, have you seen The Children of Men? And I went, I haven't. And they said, you've got to watch <laughs> The Children of Men. And so I watched that and I went, oh my God, we got another one, Hagar. So 
<laughs> so that was the sort of genesis um, of 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 what I do in in chapter one, where I do think that that is a challenge for us. Um, and whether you know it's Tyler Perry, and the um, the the range of things that you know that that he's done, or whether we're looking at these um, the speculative fiction work that I'm interested in, you know, are we truly creating constructing women um, who defy? break out of the limitations of these imaginings, these um, displays of them as, as a Mammy, um, as, as a Hagar, as, as a Jezebel. So the Hagar is, is the, um, comes scripturally from, from uh, the Christian Bible of um, Abraham, the father of, of, of the, the, the Israelites, um, um, the, uh, the Jews having uh, his wife, Sarah, um, but both of them being old and Sarah being barren. And so Sarah sends her Egyptian maidservant Hagar into, or sends her husband into her, her bondservant, her, um, her, her maidservant's room, Hagar's room, in order to sire a child so that he would have an, uh, an, um, an, um, an inheritance, he would have heirs. And so this idea of, of uh, the black body that is a sexual surrogate, right? Um, that's what the Hagar image is. And then the mammy is often thought about as this asexual, you don't wanna have sex with her, um, but she's so maternal and so nurturing um, and and so um, intentional about feeding you and making sure that you feel loved and making sure that you feel seen and making sure that you feel um, protected. But she's oftentimes doing that at the expense of her own home and at the expense of her own um, her own community. Um, and then the Jezebel is that, you know, the, the sexual vixen, right? She's the one who is using her sexuality um, to get a leg up. She's, she's interested in uh, monopolizing the ways in which men are attracted to her or see her as attractive to, um, to garner some sense of safety or some sense of, of autonomy. It always backfires on, on her, it can. Um, but those, though, I think we still struggle with those, um, the tensions of those characterizations for a lot of roles that, that Black women will find themselves in on, this, on the screen. Well, you know, as we're sitting here talking about um, these different representations, and this was kind of going into my next question um, with The Walking Dead, it kind of mm -hmm. just like, as I was sitting here, as we were having yep. our discussion, yep. I was thinking yep. about yep. <laughs> who Michonne went, which for my audience, The Walking Dead, highly zombie, you know, she started off as this warrior um, who was very strong. And then she became a mother to Rick's child. And then she actually physically became a mother of their child together a little bit later on. So she once again kind of slid into that role mm -hmm. of into it, yeah. motherhood. Mm-hmm, hmm mm hmm Well, you know, um, so she's interesting. I talk a little bit about her in Chapter 6, where I'm looking at the horror characters, because um, I do 
elevate, I try to elevate her a little bit, excuse me, in this, in this chapter, as I do with the, uh, the women that I call attention to in chapter three, who are these uh, warriors, right? These are fighters. Um, these are women who, who, who can hold their own and are holding their own in the midst of, um, in, in, in the midst of, of extinction, the, the extinction level event for humanity, right? Um, meaning that, you know, again, the zombies are wiping everybody out. <laughs> and, uh, and it literally comes down to this Darwinist idea of the survival of the fittest, you know? Um, are you able to, to fight them off? Are you able to outthink them? Are you able to uh, contribute to the community in such a way that humanity can, can be preserved, right? Because you have your fortress and you have your changing of the guard and, you know, and you're able to uh, farm and, um, and, and, and create and make water and all these sorts of things. So um, you say Michonne, yeah, it's, I thought it was Michonne, but... <laughs> I don't watch horror, so I've never watched The Walking Dead through a full episode. I can't. <laughs> so is it Michonne? Is that how they say her name? I think so. You know, I I've heard it and I've seen like clips of it. Um, everyone in my house, except my daughter, she's not interested in the zombie apocalypse okay. thing. <laughs> but others here, they are very into the post-apocalyptic world of zombies. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love and it. And it's so, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, oh, yeah, she does start off as this wonderfully, mm -hmm. you know, from the clips that I've seen and the segments as I'm passing through doing other things, you know, she's like this warrior and she's so strong. But it's amazingly, motherhood finds its way to her. And, and, does, it, and does, that, does it diminish her? It diminishes her fortitude? No, but in her case, it doesn't. I mean, for the most part, it is about her, and she does remain strong um, as a mother, but it's just like that's a, you know, she's taking on a different role in a certain sense, but I think, you know, from maybe the one or two parts that I've seen after, you know, she had children, it's she has a different mindset in some sense because there's like this shift in mentality of you know you are responsible for someone else and so some of the risks that you would take you're not necessarily going to take those as much anymore because you're thinking about yes because you want to make sure that you're there before it's like what do you really have to lose but now there is a lot to lose because you're responsible for someone else and their well-being and you want to be there to ensure that they survive. So there's, you know, a shift in her mentality um, as terms of who she is versus motherhood to pre-motherhood, you know? Interesting. You know, it's, you know, as I said, this is one, that is one of the texts that I, that I did not watch because again, I just can't, I can only do but so much with horror. Um, and so, you know, that I knew it was just, you know, it was too much for me. But I think, you know, one of the things I encountered in some of the research as I was working on chapter six is there is this expectation of uh, of of another movie that they're working on 
um, and whether or not she is, and I believe, or another series, which I guess maybe we're in the midst of, that's supposed to switch to Rick Grimes, right? And I think that from what from what I read, he was the one that disappeared first. They thought he was killed right off the bridge or something. Right, he was, but he yeah, wasn't. But he, he wasn't. wasn't. But he wasn't. And so apparently in the stuff I read, when she leaves, it was part to my my comp the complication of these of these of these limitations these restrictions that are placed on these characters um the what the way i understood the research that i read she left to find him so even though she now has a child right because she leaves the child with someone i think is doesn't yes, she? she does she yeah. does she left she left right. the child yeah to go get him right so then so so that picks back up with what i was saying about one of the other issues that i noticed in um a quest for fire children of men the matrix uh, films um we get it with 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 um uh let me say her name Michonne in The Walking Dead. We also get it in the girls from um, uh, the chapter on uh, the the black girl magic, uh, where these where the black femininity is is wedded to uh, um, uh, men of European descent. Now, again, I know you have a question in there at some point about about biracial. Um, these biracial actors or these biracial characters. So on the one hand, when we think about what we know about human, the human species, there is no race, right? We we are one species with that, you know, 0.001 um, um, difference on our genetic material that, that influences our eye color and our hair texture, right? So on the one hand, you sort of say, yeah, it shouldn't matter, right? It's great to see um, people of all hues and all um, all appearances um, loving each other, and you know, we want we want love to win. But when you get into again, what subtle messages are being sent, right? There's a yet again this other tension. I know you ask a question about why um, I think. I honed in on black love in chapter three. Well, this was one of the reasons why I wanted to have, I felt the need to have that chapter in, in, in the book that shows the ways in which two African descended um, people can be in love and can, and can, um, and, and can endure it all for one another. Um, Because again, when you look at so many of our speculative films, it's as if the black woman can't be loved by a black man or vice versa. And I think it's important to be able to show that that love can exist and does endure as well as those love relationships that can happen with others outside. We need to see all of it, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And you're right there. One does seem to be more present than the other. That's, and it's kind of always like you don't really see too much those African-only relationship or African-American relations only that are surviving, that are thriving, and that the love that grows between the two characters. Um, and there needs to be more representation of that. Um, 
just to show that it is possible, uh, that it's not that far off, that it is achievable. Um, so I did appreciate you including that in the text. Mm -hmm. Now, something else I wanted to delve into, you dedicate a whole chapter to a very <laughs> famous actress. Yeah. Who has gone, I want to say, she has had a range of roles. I mean, they have gone in so many different directions. Um, there's been wide ranging from all the way from the beginning. And I'm trying to think and I'm blanking on the name of the movie. Losing uh, Isaiah. Yeah, Losing uh -huh. Isaiah. Mm -hmm. But even before, Boomerang. Yes. Oh, yeah. She she was also in um um oh my goodness, uh um uh uh um the, uh the Black Princess, uh Babs. Yes. Yes. She was also yes. in that. So yeah, <laughs> Boomer. Yeah, she's she started out, <laughs> you know, in that that really uh very interesting type of 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 comedy, um. You know, I guess I wouldn't even make what we say C range type films, um, and then you know she she has navigated things well to garner um, the only, uh, you know, and this was part of my motivation for writing chapter two on her is we have to recognize that she still is the only black woman to have the Oscar for a leading lady, a leading role. We have. Um, a, a beautiful um, slew of women who now um, have uh, Oscars in supporting roles. So I talk about this on my website, blackgirlswrite.weebly.com. I have a blog where I talk about how absolutely um, um, discouraging it was for uh, Viola Davis and for um, the director now, um, um, uh, Bythewood Prince, um, not to get nominations for the Woman King at all at at um, at, at this year's Oscars. So not the director didn't get anything. Um, Viola Davis didn't get for Leading Lady. She's been nominated for Leading Lady for other films, but not has not won. And that, of course, um, um, Queen Ramonda. I hate that I'm that I'm stumping on her name right at the at the moment. Courtney Vance's wife, uh, uh, Angela, Angela Bassett, Bassett. Angela Bassett. That Angela Bassett also um, did not win an Oscar for 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 supporting role. So, you know, it it really. Um, I wanted to look at Hallie's work, uh, Barry's work more closely, not only in that reality, she is the only one with an actual Oscar for leading lady. Um, the second to win an Oscar decades after, um, um, you know, uh, the, the woman got it for going with the wind, um, Hattie McDaniels. Hattie McDaniels, thank you. Hattie McDaniels uh, received it for supporting the first black woman to get an Oscar in a supporting role, playing what? A mammy. And then decades later, we get a Halle Berry to receive it um, 
uh, for, you know, for, for and I've got, I, I'm seeing the film in my mind, um, but the name is, is evading me with, you know, opposite Billy Bob Thornton. Um, so in, in light of her um, garnering the role of Storm in the X-Men uh, uh, Marvel Universe, and then I didn't even remember that she played Catwoman in the uh, filmic, uh, the, the filmic version of, of that telling. It's not Selena Kyle, it's uh, Patience uh, uh, Phillips, I think is her name, uh, in the Catwoman film. I, I thought, hmm, Hallie's, there's something interesting here. So she has two breakout, uh, very successful movies in the role of a superhero, in the role of a black female superhero, in the role of two of the oldest uh, black female superheroes that were constructed. DC's Catwoman character, if we go back to Eartha Kitt's rendition of it in in the early 60s, and then um, Aurora Storm, uh, Aurora Monroe Storm's character appearing in the the mid-1970s. What other speculative films has she done? And so that was my assignment when I when I wanted to do research on the chapter. And I discovered, hmm, if you look at the arc of her career, she has progressively moved away from the quote-unquote reality-driven work into the speculative fiction work. Um, and so we talk about... Um, You know, we talk about movies like uh, Moonfall that came out in 2022, Um, her TV series Extent uh, that ran, I think, from 2014 to 2015, Um, Gothica that that she did. And I went, you know, she has done uh, uh, John Wick and what was that, 2021? So I really, so I really, I really thought, hmm, is Hallie like taking a, a line from Will Smith's playbook <laughs> that she's is being very intentional about about asking her agent to find her roles in speculative film. I didn't find any interviews where she actually overtly said, as Will Smith has said, yes, I am very much um, interested and committed to doing this kind of work uh, for these reasons or that reason. I I would love to discover whether or not she ever has an interview where she says that. But I think her filmography clearly does show an interesting arc, an interesting move into the speculative work, where Arguably, and this is one of the things I tried to examine and tease out in in chapter two, where it's the it is within those speculative roles that she can move beyond the the sex the sexy vixen, and I wonder if that's perhaps her motivation. That is possible because if you think of the roles that she's had in the past, um, gosh, what is the name of that movie? I am blanking Fish. on. Yes, that's it. And there's the 007 movie that she did. Yes. Where she bears her breast. That is true. 
Yes, those I remember those clearly, those two films. And for me, it's, you know, and the other thing that um, that I was struck by is, again, in looking at um, at Bogle's work. Um, and again, he he's he really is the authority on black filmmaking. But I was a little I, I was a little surprised that even he didn't make this observation of her shift into the, the these these um, these speculative fiction characters. And, you know, people talk about. Catwoman as trash. And I, you know, I, I, I push back on that a little bit because I really think Catwoman was a film before its time. And if you go back and you watch, you look at some of the CG work and some of the choreo, chore, the choreography, the fight sequences, um, there is, it is right on par with what we now kind of take as happenstance or we take for granted when we're, when we're sitting and we're watching those CWDC content or we're sitting back and we're watching, uh, you know, the DC Justice League films or we're watching any number of the Marvel uh, franchise films that are now available on D- on Disney Plus, right? The, those sorts of visualizations in... Um, in that 2004 Catwoman film are right in par with what we now kind of take for granted. And I think maybe that was the disconnect 20 years ago where people weren't quite ready and they saw it as kind of like, you know, oh, this is sort of childish or um, um, too fabricated, right? Too fantastical. I don't know, but I think Catwoman is a great action hero film. I have to concur with that, Professor uh, Jeffrey Lugat. I think you're correct that it was something that was before um, its time, and we had just not gotten there yet. And I also, you have to think about also what was popular during that time in terms of what people were watching. What were the in-demand movies? What was what they call, as you would say, big, the big blockbusters during that period? And it we hadn't really delved into the so much superhero realm as it is now. Uh, and so it's, you're right, when you do watch the film, there is great CGI there. I mean, it kind of brings me back, and I don't know if you're familiar with this show. It was used to be on what used to be one or brothers way back in the day um it was this birds of prey and um it's something that now if it was on say the cw and it had come out now it would have been intensely possible the show only lasted one season but now people look back on it and they say it was ahead of its time Uh, and it didn't resonate as well with the audiences it's so interesting and i and part of and part of me wonders again one of the tasks i tried to undertake in this book maybe maybe implicitly perhaps not so overtly is this expectation of what women should look like or what they should be doing or what kinds of roles um should they be playing on the screen or in these relationships um with others or in as um 
as contributing members of their of their communities. You know, and I say that because Catwoman came out right in the midst of Wesley Snipes doing the Blade series. And why did they do three Blade movies? It was because of how successful um, you know, that those that the first film was for sure. And the second one did okay, although I would say trash, right? The first one was really good. The third one was the third one was like, oh, you're terrible. Um, it was simply obviously done because they knew it would make money. And so you sit back and you look to me, all of those are done contemporaneously, Catwoman, uh, the three blade feature films. And you say to yourself, well, why would Wesley Snipes films do so well? And you make three of them and yet have such um, um, uh, criticism, have such a stigma against Barry's work in um, in Catwoman. Uh, it, you know, it astounds me. And so I think to myself, well, it, even though she's traipsing around in her skin tight, skin showing, you know, bodysuit, <laughs> you know, um, um, uh, 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 her cat suit, right? But there's more to that story than just her being being sexy. There's so many nuanced layers to what the character is, you know, is going through. And I guess that's what folks didn't want to see or care about, um, you know, but oddly enough, you can deal with the schizophrenia, if you will, of um, of West of Blade, right? Contending with, am I vampire? Am I human? Um, you know, I love my mother, but I hate her now because she's a vampire. You know, you can deal with that. You you write that kind of complex, uh, uh, trouble troubled um, human tension in his character, but Patience Phillips. It's folks just didn't quite get it or care to get it. And I think that's what we're still fighting against, right? Let women have have the same kind of complex storylines and interesting storylines and layered storylines and it not just be black and white. They're sexy or they're strong or they're the warrior. Allow them to be nuanced and be okay with that. And we can still appreciate the character and, and, and the plot. Very true. And I wonder also if... When the film came out in 2004, um, if there was a particular, because you, I'm thinking about this now as well, you know, there had been a series of Batman that had come before that, which you had, at least I remember the one with, and I want to make sure I'm getting my timing right on this, with Michelle Pfeiffer's cat. Yep, 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 yep. He's, he's resurfacing. Um... I think Tim Burton directed that and it was, oh my gosh, his name is on the cusp of, uh, is on the tip of my tongue. Long and short, that Batman is re- is surfacing in the new Flash movie that's coming out. That's right. the Batman right. movie. Yeah. Yes. Mike, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Yes, Michael Keaton. If it may not have been a bit disconcerting. It's all around the same time, yeah. Disconcerting to see a Catwoman of... African descent also in some realms because you have to think about it we Um, may know Eartha Kitt Mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. how many others knew of Eartha Kitt doing the finger snap doing the finger snap 
<laughs> you know, that's there's that idea because if you think about it now, we do have, and you go back to the, there's a new Batman, actually it's not mm-hmm. new, but they're doing a second one, the one that came out with Robert Patterson. And there was yes. Selena Kyle in there, and she was of mm-hmm. African descent as well. Yes. Zoe Kravitz. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, if it's now maybe more accepted per se. That's interesting. Um, That's very interesting because I think you're right. Um, one of the things I talk about in the chapter is the fact that um, in terms of super, the super hero that is a woman, um, Catwoman was the second uh, movie. The first movie was a Supergirl movie that had been done. I, I think it was done for TV in the 80s. So so not only do you have um, folks being introduced to a cat woman of African descent that they may not have been familiar with, you're right. And they might have said, wait, that's Michelle Pfeiffer, which is not unlike where Eartha Kitt encountered with some of the TV viewers who went, wait, you know, that's supposed to be so-and-so, you know, a, a, a woman of European descent, not, not a black woman. So I think you're right. There may have been some of that to it. And then also it might have been some resistance, I think, too, to the idea of of the female superhero, right? Because Catwoman was the first one we have. And that right. to me is what also makes it so groundbreaking as a film. So it predates X-Men. It predates the Black Panther. Um, it follows the Superman movies that had done very well, the um, 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 Kenneth Reeve uh, films that had done really well, um, and it um, it follows the Batman, uh, the Michael Keaton Batman movies that had done that had also done very well, um, and then you have there were two black superhero movies, uh, Spawn that had come out in the late '90s, and then you had um, Blade. So you again in the arc of action superhero content, Catwoman is doing something incredibly perceptive, incredibly groundbreaking. And I don't think that people really acknowledge it for that. Right. And they should. Because and they it's, should. you know, it's one of those films that if you, as you say right now, if you watched it or you put it in the theaters, it would do extremely well. It would. Um, mm-hmm just where we are right now. And I think you're right. I think Barry has more gotten into the speculative arena um, because there's been whispers that I think it's Deadpool that will be coming out um, in a couple of years. Is she going to be in that? There are some whisperings that Storm may reappear Mm -hmm. uh, in that film because, you know, Marvel now has taken over the X-Men. Uh, they do have those characters now. And so I know Hugh Jackman is supposed to be in Deadpool, but there are rumblings and they said they've seen um, images of Halle Berry with the very storm look um, going on. There are some that are circulating with her as storm again. So, And I think there was some rumor that um, Zoe Kravitz was being wooed to be the next storm. 
Yes, there's, you know, because, you know, eventually you do have that set of heroes, but you're going to have to, for longevity purposes, you're going to need to um, revamp and regroup. But, you know, now we live in this wonderful world of the multiverse. That's right. Um, <laughs> That's so, right. <laughs> so you can have multiple people playing multiple characters at different ages. So, um you know, it's it's something that I think is going to be very, very interesting as we see. But, uh, you know, it's a world that definitely superheroes are expanding. And, you know, we also have now, if you think about Spider-Man, we have Mary Jane, um, which is um, very intensely popular now, the character. Uh, and she's also a very strong female who's... Um, very, and I would say a good role model, um, for young girls. Cause you know, she's smart and she's focused on her goals and, you know, it's, um, there's some, definitely some positive images that are coming out, but we still have a long, long way to go. Um, we're making progress, but we're not quite there yet. There's still a ways to go, uh, to, to balance things out, which brings me to the discussion of, Another one of my favorite types of films. There are so many that I have. Vampires. Um, <laughs> well, there's vampires, but wait, let me back it up. Actually, I want to go into um, Black Girl Magic. I'll say vampires for last. Um, okay. Black Girl Magic, <laughs> you know, those are films that are awesome. There's just something about this idea of being telekinetic. And I often think, you know, as you're watching X-Men, you see Jean Grey mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and you're able to, cause you, you have within that character, you have a lot of power. I mean, between her and professor Xavier, there's a lot of power that is manifested there when you're a telekinetic. I mean, it's, and when you wrap that in a, as you so masterfully do as you're speaking with and you're discussing women of African descent in those roles. How exactly does that work out, you would say? So, you know, I was struck in, um, uh, again, the, the, these. how did I get acquainted with these films? It was another grading crunch. <laughs> and, you know, and just kind of having, like, find, seeing what's going on or seeing what's coming on and stopping and going, wait, wait, that's a black, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> What is that? Okay, I've got to watch that later. I've got to record it or I need to uh, get it on demand. And um, and again, just sitting down and watching, uh, watching the movies and seeing this trend. Yet again, look at how, uh, how all of these movies coming out 2018 and how interesting that all of them have a similar uh, way of showcasing Black girlhood. And it's that these girls have this mastery of their mind, right? So, for instance, uh, Meg Murray's Ava DuVernay making the decision to cast Meg Murray as a um, as a mixed race uh, child, um, having um, the darkest mind, and the decision to um, to uh, depict. Um, depict uh, her, I'm stumping on the name, I'm thumbing through the chart, uh, the book so that I can make sure that I um, 
call out the right name. But having that main character um, in the in the darkest mind also uh, be a a girl of of color, be a, be an African descended girl, and then having in fast colors this family of this matrilineal family of women who have this uh, telekinetic ability. So in Wrinkle in Time, it's um, it's it's not. I, I don't know what if it's it's a mix right of this telepathy telepathy telekinesis because she can wrinkle she can bend time right um, that's what what but her mind is what enables her to do it right um, for, for her to hone in on the frequency that's needed uh, in order for them to tesser um, or in order for them to control the tesseract, the wrinkling of time. That's what we get with Meg Murray's character in A Wrinkle in Time. Um, in The Darkest Mind, and um, I'm thumbing through my, through my reading here so that I can call out the right... I hate that I'm stumping on her name right now. Um, Ruby. Ruby in the darkest mind, she is telekinetic. That is her, that is her gift. And all of the people with telekinesis are, are murdered. All those children are killed except for, except for two, the president's son, who is, who is the puppet master controlling everything. Because as you said, he realizes that his telekinesis makes him the most powerful entity on the earth. And so he must rid himself of of, of anyone else that has that ability to manipulate matter, move matter, um, and so forth. And here we have um, we have Ruby come along, who kind of hides under the radar, right? She's able to um, to, to 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 manipulate the mind. I guess she has some some telepathic ability too to tell him that, you know, I'm I'm a green, I'm not an orange. Um I you know, I'm just I'm just super intelligent. I don't have any other great power beyond that. And then to come down to to the family, the um the mother Bo, uh the the grandmother Bo, excuse me, the mother Ruth and the daughter Lila, who again have this ability to manipulate matter. I just saw it as just an exceptionally intriguing, um, uh, reoccurring image of Black girlhood, and and I do think that for um, going back to my own um, my own evolution as a as a girl into a, a teenager, a young woman into a scholar, that there I absolutely was inspired and felt. Um, um, felt felt enabled, felt encouraged to uh, to be independent and to be strong, um, and to be courageous and fearless. Right, that's what Nichelle Nichols Uhura meant for me. That's what Storm Aurora Monroe meant for me. That's what uh, Catwoman meant for me. That's what you know Vixen represents for me. The DC uh, a superhero character represents for me. Or Misty Knight, or you know the slew of these of of these these powerful. Um, independent, self-actualized African-descended women. And I thought, wow, can't it be great? It has, 
Can it not be wonderful for parents to be able to take their children to these kinds of films? And for and irrespective of how one identifies ethnically, I don't like the term race or racially, but again, how one re- identifies culturally, ethnically, um, how it also um, significant it is for parents to take their girls and see these powerful, dynamic girls, right? Um, so that was what sort of compelled me to want to talk about uh, those three characters, those three films, A Wrinkle in Time, The Darkest Minds, um, and Fast Colors. And I think it hopefully will serve to inspire, and hopefully it did serve to inspire the next generation of young women to feel okay with being um, um, thoughtful and powerful and, and, and wanting to um, hone the mastery of their minds. That to me is the symbolic real world application of those two film, of those three films. Right. And also having this idea that, you know, and it's something that we often in this world look at in so many ways, that it's okay to be different, that it's okay. You know, and I think that's something that's so hard, especially for young girls for of all ethnicities, but especially girls of color, to understand that it's okay being different, uh, that you can still be strong and you can still be fierce. And that our differences are what make us who we are, and we should embrace those differences, um, which is something I think, you know, and especially as you're a preteen or a teenager, as you're trying to navigate this very, very complicated, and I want to say digitized world that they live in, uh, it's something that, you know, growing up, you know, I didn't, you know, we had just the normal things that you had to deal with in school, but now there's this whole other realm that you're um, trying to navigate, which I think um, can be overwhelming for everyone. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I would say because we are in the new millennium that, you know, boys should also be able to be inspired by these these characters, um, you know, because for, you know, for for generations. Right. I grew up right with the Tom Sawyers and the Huckleberry Finns. And I was still as a child um, inspired to be that kind um, um was that precocious, right? That it was okay to be precocious and curious, uh, you know, and, and to get dirty and to uh, you know, and to have these um these 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 um these exploits, right? The Tom Sawyer novels, the Tom Sawyer movies, the Huck Finn um, movies or the TV shows that I watched as a kid did that for me, even though the protagonists, right, were these little boys um, of European descent. So I would hope that, you know, these girls are doing the same for, again, non-Black children who are watching them. But again, how wonderful it is for sure for uh, for Black girls to see themselves on the screen in this kind in these kinds of ways. I know. I, I think it's um, it's very important, and I think it's revolutionary, um, and it's putting us onto the right direction. Um, now we've discussed superheroes. We've talked about love, and we've talked about magic. Uh, 
yet another of my topics that I almost preemptively got to the world of vampires. I will say that I developed an interest. You know, I was, I want to say I'm more of the vampire werewolf genre versus the zombies. Uh, I just really got into vampires. Um, and I think about thinking about Pam Greer, uh, Blackula, uh, Blackula Screams. I remember all of those. Uh, in the horror world, I remember Candyman. I remember all these things growing up. <laughs> um, and how much fun they were to watch. Uh, and so can you tell me a little bit about um, your discussion with vampires? Let's head into there. Yeah, so, so similarly, um, in wanting to write a book that would be... Um, that could, again could blur these boundaries between academia and um, and non-academic audiences. I wanted to. Um, I think a lot of readers and our spectators are parents um, and our children, right? Our tweens, our teens, and so again, uh, binge watching, grading. <laughs> A bunch of stuff. I came across a girl with all with all the uh, with all the gifts, and um, and then someone recommended the passage uh, films to me, and of course I had read um, Octavia Butler's Fledgling, and so in the midst of this, I went to a conference. I think it was the College Languages Association Conference, CLA, and um, a, a colleague of mine who is a graduate of of of, of how a graduate did a PhD out of Howard University, uh, and also taught out at Hope College in Michigan, where I had taught. Um, our paths crossed, and she was being recognized for her book. Her name is Kendra Parker, Dr. Kendra Parker. She was being recognized as CLA for her book, Black Female Vampires in African-American Women's Novels, 1977 to 2011, She Bites Back. And so I, you know, got introduced to Kendra, we started chatting, and I went, oh my goodness, how interesting that you have this book that's looking at the fiction that um, that that recreates, reconstructs, revitalizes the image of the black female vampire from 19, from the 1970s on until today. And I'm seeing a recurring image amongst a different type of girlhood image that's being depicted or captured um, captured in film. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to, again, uh, research a little bit more, uh, do a little more uh, deep dive of, 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 of examining uh, those images, not just in terms of the characters from the Black Girl Magic chapter, but then also uh, these much more violent um, these much more distressing images. It's like it's it's like two sides of the same coin, two extremes, right? So you have again these sort of displaced girls, um, or these marginalized girls, or these outsiders in the Black Girl Magic chapter, right? They're misunderstood, um, uh, right? They're they're outcasts within their communities. But then you have with the vampire girls, I mean, they are, they're orphaned, right? They, now it's that, it's to that extreme and uh, super uh, powerful, 
um, uh, incredibly uh, perceptive, uh, and 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 both of these characterizations, I think, as as exciting as they are, as idyllic as they are, um, they also strike a chord of fear, right? In in the viewer, like you know, going back to Bram Stoker. <laughs> Do you really want to be in a room with 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 Count Dracula? Right? Like on the one hand, he's so sexy, right? And he's oozing such charisma that you're that you're drawn to him, right? At the same time that you're everything else is saying, flee. <laughs> Run away, you know. Get your garlic. Throw up your your crosses, you know. So you know, it it was it was a it was an awkward tension for me, but I felt that, um, again, contemporaneously, those texts, the passage, uh, twenty nineteen, I think it was, the girl with all the gifts, twenty sixteen, they straddled this plethora of films from 2018. And I, I, I just felt that I, I needed to take a, take another look at what in the world are we doing with our Black girls and how are we presenting them on the screen? You know, and I don't know if I'm necessarily answering per se, because I want people to read the book and I'm kind of curious as to what their thoughts or reactions to it is, but it makes it, 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 it continues this discussion of, for instance, all the discomfort of, of having uh, the Little Mermaid now cast as a Black girl. What is this awkward discomfort, right, over these seeing these powerful little girls and seeing them in the absence of, particularly the vampire girls, um, in the absence of their their guardians or their parents, right? That's the thread with the Little Mermaid, although in the original story, she's not, right, a girl of color, but she leaves home, right? And that's what she has, you know, under the sea, you know, was it Simon following behind her? Because he, she can't go out there all by yourself. You got to have some guidance. You got to have some, you know, someone that's that's watching over you and offering some some advice. So, you know, I I love I I like what I do or try to do in that chapter, which is to say yet again, like all the women I lift up in the book, these are super dynamic young women incredibly uh they they have they demonstrate such fortitude in and of themselves to survive um and also um genetically they are the height of human evolution albeit the result of experimentation and so it yet again plants this i think vital seed hey people of color endure, keep fighting, keep staying the course, because we're going to make it, we're going to be here. But it also plants a seed of, man, um, if we become so powerful, so strong, so daunting, um, how do we maintain our humanity? Or should we maintain our humanity? Um, In an interesting way, I hope I'm not I'm not losing losing you or losing the the hearer. In an interesting way, in the the chapter, what I discovered is, 
you know, Shuri from Fledgling has incredible sympathy for humanity. Um, Amy in the passage, is it, um, I'll make sure I'm not mixing, mixing my girls up. Um, yeah, Amy from the passage also um, is incredibly interested in protecting humanity. That's that's ideal. That's sort of positive. Um, but our hero from from the girl with all the gifts, Melanie, she like the rest of the um, uh, the rest of the hungries is quite. Um, quite intentional in wiping out humanity as we know it. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where, as I was reading the chapter, I was thinking about, you know, you do have, yes, you have Melanie, and yes, she is someone who does not have that capacity, capacity for sympathy, for sharing the world with a human world. Yes, there's that, but, you know, but that's kind of, as you're showing, there's this plethora of hu- of emotions that range from what's real to what's imagined. You know, you are going to have some who will have that sympathy as Pam, as they have, but then you're also going to have the Melanie's who are going to be like, no, uh, we can't share this existence because that would be too complicated. Um, and the problems that could arise from trying to share this, um, who would try to dominate and who would, you know, would there be one who would have to have more power than the other? We cannot, could we not have a shared experience? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And isn't that the age old tension, human tension, Yes. That we even, you know, and so this is one of the sort of subtle, um, one of the subtle uh, uh, elements that is interwoven throughout the book at various places, but it does call into the, these kind of partisan politics or the tensions around these partisan politics, right? Which is ultimately, if if it continue, if the focus continues to be around power, who is the most powerful? Who has? the power, then it always becomes this, um, this uh, civic question around, then what do they do with it? And, you know, I, I'm, I can be an optimist. My husband uh, uh, says that I am, I am certainly the most optimistic in, in our home, in our, in our union, um, that, I, you know, I do think that there is a, a great um, joy in in having the Amys and having um, the Shuris who say, even though I could just wipe you out and just start over as Melanie opts to do, I don't wanna do that. I don't see anything fruitful in that. I, I love you. <laughs> You know, I want us to maintain and reach this balance and that be the new uh, human existence. Yeah. I know optimism, it's what keeps us moving. It's what keeps us going. It's where, you know, believing that there can be better um, 
is a part of our human existence and it's supposed to be you know yeah there's the dark I, you know sometimes there's just like oh it's never going to get better or it can't possibly be done but having hope for a better future that is what i think we've always done you know from going back through the times of definitely slavery through the civil rights movement um through what we call somewhat the post-civil rights movement although that's a big question mark there um it's finding that better future um finding that better place so as you're watching these vampire movies and you do have the Cherie and you do have the amy who are saying we can work together even though yes technically if you get into all of the blood and gore i am supposed to eat you um, <laughs> you know we can it's coexist like... i don't want to wipe you out uh that is most definitely a positive uplifting look for the future just as you think about you know our own society where we are now in 2023 which still it's hard to keep saying that it's very hard to say that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know we've come through you know if you go back to our own existence from there i, I think of where we are now in 2002 there are two worlds there's pre-covid and then there's now yeah yeah oh uh, you know it's almost like there's been this t- radical shift that's all I could kind of conceptualize it as um and as we were talking about in the pre-recording we are on that other side of things Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. we are living in the what can be the midst of what if we go back oh gosh and now this is really going to date me about 40 years (laughs) what was an imagined world is now becoming more of our real world it's so um, true which you know it's kind of but one of the things that's great is that it's also being shown on screen that Mm -hmm. things are changing which goes back to your book we're having that more diversified experience that's coming so that future generations of black women and girls are able to see someone with whom they can relate someone with whom that they can actually share or someone as we grew up and we saw Nichelle Nichols or Eartha Kitt um, and we read about Storm and we're like oh wow you know how amazing you know they're having those oh wow moments now and I think that is something that they most definitely need. And I'm glad that there are, that there are more of those being created for them now. Mm-hmm. And I want to add just to this um, direct the reader, um, the listener to um, chapter five in the book, where I talk about the legacy of black women um, as strong characters, as present characters in the horror genre. Because one of the things that, um, that is a consistent thread, right? From the, the chapter on the girl vampires, the chapter on um, the telepathic or the telekinetic girls from Darkest Mind, um, Fast Colors, um, 
A Wrinkle in Time, to the superhero, uh, what I call the um, uh, the transhuman androgynous heroes of Altered Carbon, the HBO Watchmen series, and um, uh, Altered Carbon, HBO Watchmen, and Lovecraft Country, is these black female characters are compelling us to see how to survive, like how to make it, what it takes to endure, what it takes it to preserve the best um, that, that hum that humanity has to offer. But for, for where we're at now, post COVID 2023, what I also hope and think these, um, these characters can offer us irrespective of, of how we identify culturally, how we identify ethnically, how we even identify in terms of gender is again, what it takes to survive the monstrous, right? What it takes to prevail through some utterly devastating circumstances. And that's the element that I talk about in the, in chapter five, that, that on the one hand, absolutely, there are uh, these black filmmakers, Jordan Peele. Um, uh, there are these black uh, uh, filmmakers who are um, who are challenging us to look at the history of African descended people in the Americas as as a really horrifying uh, uh, experience. Histo the trauma. Um, the um, 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 uh, the trauma, the the the, the steadfast, frightening uh, uh, things that happened, the violence, uh, the the abuse, the bloodshed, the yada yada yada. Right? On the on the one hand, absolutely, we cannot discount that reality for uh, people of African descent in the Americas, but it hasn't just happened to African descended peoples, right? We have the genocide that was enacted upon uh, indigenous populations in the America and throughout the world. We have uh, the Holocaust that have happened in other countries and other nations against other populations, right? So if you think about this idea of okay human humanity, Okay, human beings, we have we've been around now for for quite a few centuries, right? The, our species has been around even longer than that, <laughs> and now we have enough history, enough enough human experiences to show how these uh, these kinds of events, these kinds of traumas, these kinds of uh, difficult, dangerous, volatile situations can arise. What are we going to do uh, uh, in response to them? And that's a, that's the second layer, I guess I can say, for uh, Chapter 5 in this discussion of these characters that we see in the horror film genre, and that they are then showing us something about the human capacity to endure the human capacity to survive, the human capacity to remain humane, to remain civil, um, and, and, and still exist 
through these really uh, are highly difficult, highly devastating, highly tragic, highly traumatizing uh, circumstances. And I think you did that very well because at the core, the characters still maintain their humanity, um, which should have been eradicated given the circumstances with which they have to deal and survive. Yet they are, as you say, still human. Uh, they still have that capacity. Um, and to be able to survive what should be impossible. Uh, and they do. Um, so you're right, it does give us some perspective. So I want to ask you, Professor Jeffrey Leggett, what do you want your readers to take away from the book? So I wrote this book with my students in mind. I wrote this book with this younger generation of college age um, students, high school students in mind. And I, I want, because I know they're watching this stuff. They're watching this stuff. Um, they're growing up as you and I did on this content that's even all the more prevalent now than it was for us. And it's all the more now um, commonplace and appropriate for you to for you to gravitate and watch these things, right? Like you said, you had siblings much older than you, but it was okay for them to sit with you and watch that cartoon because of how it resonated with you. Well, now we have this content that again, all ages can see and all ages can see themselves in. Right. Um, so I, you know, so I wrote it with with this younger generation in mind um, and with my uh, younger relatives, my, my cousin's children and uh, my own um, nieces and nephews and the children that they'll have. Um, I really wanted them to be inspired to to, you know, grab. Uh, uh, grab the reins of you know of your life and uh, and be okay with with where that takes you. If you are an artist, um, mom, dads, don't try to stifle that creator in your child, that creative um, genius in your child. We need that. We need them to help continue to drive this content, right? This content is driven by the artists, the drawers, uh, the dreamers, the writers. Um, if we're talking about um, the graphic designers, the costumers, right? Ruth Carter um, having an Afrofuturist exhibit down in Rile at the museum in North Carolina and Raleigh. Um, uh, Ruth Carter, the uh, second black woman to have two Oscars, um, I'm sorry, the first black woman to have uh, Oscars in costuming, and the second, the, the first black woman to have two Oscars, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and both for, for her costuming design for the Black Panther. So this content is, is it's, you know, it's so beautifully rich and promising for this next generation of folks, whether you're a dancer and you can be dancing uh, with the uh, Afrofuturist artists like Doja Cat or Janelle Monet or, or, or Megan Thee Stallion, you know, and so forth, uh, uh, Cardi B, right? All of them are building on the speculative when you look at these sort of staging. If you're interested in lighting, if you're interested in camera work, there's so many layers beyond just what we see uh, on the page or on the screen. There's so many other areas 
that create and fortify this speculative arena. So I wanted to write in a way that would hopefully enthuse those younger folks to say, oh, wait, I didn't see a space for me or away from me in this STEM-driven curriculum, this STEM-driven society. I see it now. Uh, you know, I am interested in music or I'm interested in drawing or I'm interested in design or I'm interested in computer programming and can play a huge role uh, a huge uh, uh, um, influence in having a huge impact on how the digital humanities evolves. Um, so I wanted, so that's one takeaway. The other takeaway is uh, parents, you know, talk with your children, talk with your, and we might get interrupted because I have an exterminator coming. <laughs> So I don't want us to stop recording. I may have, if the bell rings, I may have to just pause it and come back in um, so I can just direct him five minutes for what he has to do. Um, I just got a notice on my phone. So let me see if he, I'm sorry. Yes, he is. He is here. So let me finish this and then I'll run down to grab him. The, um, the second point that takeaway for me is parents. You're watching this content with your, you're watching Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on TV with, 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 uh, with your, with your daughters, with your sons, with your grandkids. Talk to them about it. Sit down and watch an episode with them and really chat with them about what they're seeing in terms of, of the image, the representation, uh, what it's saying to them as a girl, what it's saying to them as, as a child, what it's saying to them as a human being. Um, and, and secondly, and thirdly, go support this content. Um, we, we argue about being advocates for diversity, but how many of us actually are paying to see the films when they're in the theaters or, or, or streaming or subscribing to the artists to get their content as they're creating mu uh, music? How many of us are taking our families to these exhibits? You know, how many of us have been to uh, the Smithsonian National Museum of African American Art and Culture up in DC? Um, so those I would say are my, I hope are my three, my three takeaways. Let's, let's inspire the next generation to create so they can uh, advance uh, this content, uh, contribute to this, this uh, arena, directing, singing, whatever it might be. Um, let's um, talk about this content with our children who are playing with the action figures, who are, who are playing with, with the video games on, on their PlayStations, uh, who are watching, um, uh, who, you know, who are watching uh, these, these cartoons. And then lastly, uh, let's support these artists ourselves. Professor Jeffrey Leggett, thank you for joining me today. Readers, I implore you, go out and please pick up speculative a copy of Speculative Film and Moving Images by or, uh, by or About Black Women and Girls. It is a phenomenal read, and you will not be disappointed. Thank you for joining me today, Professor Jeffrey Leggett. Um, it was a pleasure having you on and discussing all of these wonderful, um, the wonderful world of speculative films today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And I encourage our listeners, um, go to my website, Black Girls Write the uh, Black Girls Write 
the, I can't remember my own website. Isn't that terrible? Um, blackgirlswrite.weebly.com. Um, I've got some um, additional articles and blogs there that you might find interesting as well as um, links that you can find to authors who are contributing to this content, directors who are contributing to this content, and just continuing this uh, deep dive into this beautiful world of Black speculative fiction. Thank you, Professor um, Jeffrey Leggett.